Welcome. Here at Waterstone, we invite you to find your story within God's bigger story. We are a church that lives for something bigger than ourselves and is passionate to proclaim and demonstrate the way of Jesus. If you're interested in attending in person, our weekend services happen every week on Saturday evenings at 5 or Sunday mornings at 9 or 10.30. On the final day of EBS, we wanted a Jesus to introduce himself to uh, our children. And that's uh, why we decided to have one of Jesus' most provocative stories, the, the prodigal son. It's rather, if you think about it, a dark story, right? It's really about a dad who loses relationship with both of his sons. At the beginning, the younger son has, wants to experience the world so badly and fill his soul that he symbolically wishes his dad dead by asking for his inheritance while he's still living. And then at the end of the story, the oldest son is so upset because of the way the father used his uh, money to welcome the youngest son back who'd wasted all the father's money already. And he's so mad that even though he's right next to the house, he will not go in and celebrate with his dad on his dad's happiest day. You see, both of these sons uh, are, are a picture of the human condition. This idea of being lost, of being strangers in a strange land, of being, being away from home. That's the picture. And what we want to see a little bit this morning is how that picture is really permeating our culture right now, this idea of homesickness and being lost. But also, we have to see, because this is the big idea of the story, the father and his relentless heart of love and how he responds to both of his sons. So we'll talk about our human condition and we'll talk about the condition of the father's heart who's running to us. Let's, uh, let's start with this idea of uh, lostness. These, these two sons, they image the current condition of the human race. You'll remember the story that we were made by a God in love, a God who had, and Father, Son, and His Spirit had dwelt in love from all of eternity and He wanted to share that love. And so He made this creation and at the pinnacle of the creation, He made us. And living with God in face-to-face -face relationship, imagine, I mean, his counsel and his beauty and his holiness stimulated our minds 24-7. And his love satisfied our hearts, giving us that affirmation and blessing that we so crave. And it was good. It was very good. And then what happened in the story with the sons is also what happened to us. We chafed under the father's authority and we craved his things and we took them into our own hands and we went on the road the story gives a really vital description of this idea of lostness and i just want to read it from the scriptures verses 13 through 17 here's what it is to be lost not long after that the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. 
And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Starving to death. Physically, spiritually. What is it to be lost? Well, I would submit to you that in our culture, and every culture, in their own ways, we uh, breathe this lostness culturally in the same way that we're breathing smoke in the air in a Colorado summer. It's everywhere. It's in, it's in the things we read. Let's go back to high school and college for a moment, shall we? Some of us may have had to read a German philosopher who is the father of existentialism, one of the most original thinkers ever God made, a guy by the name of Martin Heidegger. And Heidegger said that the overwhelming condition of the human race, in a word, um heimlichkeit, which means homesick. Wanting more, never arriving, longing to fill the heart. If Heidegger is the father of existentialism intellectually, I would submit to you, and maybe in college you had to read a guy by the name of Albert Camus, who in his book, The Fall, is the heart of this idea of lostness. And he has one of his characters in that novel say, the weight of days is dreadful. For most people, the approach of dinner, the arrival of a letter from home, or the smile of a passing girl is enough to help people get around this sense of homelessness. But the person who likes to dig into ideas and think about them, for him, life is impossible. We read it, we sing it. I'd like to quote to you my two favorite doctors of lyrical theology. Dr. B, the boss, Bruce Springsteen. Everybody has a... Oh, that was weak. Come on, some of you. Some of you were born in the 20th century. Come on. My other favorite doctor of lyrical theology, Dr. Bono. I still haven't found... That's better. I knew it. We sing it. We watch it. We watch it with our children, this idea of lostness. Lion King, right? The original and the recent remake. The circle of life, the animals are all there, singing, playing, dancing around. When one of the lion cubs says to the lion dad, but dad, we eat the antelopes, don't we? And then the dad says, yes, we do, son, but then we die and we fertilize the grass and they eat us. <laughs> We're watching this with our children. <laughs> There's the meaning of life. It's no wonder we're restless. No wonder we hit the road. No wonder Jack Kerouac is a year-to-year bestseller when Mississippi Gene says to Sal in, in Kerouac's book, he, he had no place he could stay in without getting tired of it and because there was nowhere to go but everywhere. And we leave home and we hit the road. Now I want you to think about this, this question, right? If, as our culture would say, the fastest growing worldview in our culture is secularism and there's nothing after we die, there was nothing before we die, we're just worm food when we're done and uh, that's it. 
We have just this time. If that's the case, my question is, where does this longing come from? This homesick, this relentless feeling like we're never arrived. Ah, some of you, this will shock you. I, I actually have an iPhone. iPhone 5S. <laughs> and on my iPhone, I have a playlist. I have a couple of songs on that playlist that are very special to me. I'll share it all with you if you want, but there's one in particular. I was a huge fan in high school, in the 1970s, of a group called the Doobie Brothers. They have this song, What a Fool Believes. It's the best song. I can remember driving in rural Pennsylvania down Interstate 80 from Collartown to Clearfield, windows down, eight-track tape playing, huge box speakers in my back seat. I have tinnitus now, and I'm convinced that's why, and from my 72 Chrysler Newport sound box. I can remember thinking, oh, man, it's going to be so good. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to find a beauty. I'm going to have a family. It's going to be great. And here's the thing. Most of us, for a lot of those things, we get them, at least for a time. We get some of those things. And then you get there, right? What is it? You get there and you think, it's all good. I like it. But is there more? Is there more? And then as you get older and 40 years now back looking on it and trying to relive it again, you think, holy cow, some of the necks I was wanting didn't happen. And then you think some of the necks that did happen I didn't want, like cancer, like financial struggles, like seeing my children struggle, like seeing my close friends lose loved ones, like boredom in my job. We're addicted to the next thing, but the next thing never quite is enough. Do you experience that? Restless. That's the lost son on the road, the prodigal. But there's another son who also experiences exile and at the end of the story is standing outside of home. His story, well, it's just interesting. He is so upset by the grace that his father shows to the younger son that on this father's happiest day, he rejects his family and resists his father's leadership. You see, Jesus' point is to say both sons are lost. The one is lost by wanting his, the wealth but not the father, and goes off and morally wastes everything by bad decisions. But the older son, too, wants the father out of the way, and he doesn't like the way his father is spending his wealth on the younger son, and he wants control of his dad by staying home and being good. Oh, you need to hear this. There are two ways for us to be our own savior and end up lost. The first way is by being bad, and doing morally questionable things, and you will be finding yourself far from home. But there's another way by staying home and being good and trying to control 
God in your life and you too will end up lost. You see, the older son was demonstrating the great difference between a religious person and a Christian. A religious person does good things to get control of God so that God will have to answer their prayers, have to give them a good life and take them to heaven when they die. A Christian says, no, I do good things because God has done great things in my life. And it's gratitude driven, not God demand driven. Lostness, the human condition, this is us. Well, we have to see God's response to it. How does God respond to us living in exile? Well, he does things that a father in Jesus' day would never do. Think about your dad for a minute. This is fun. Just think about your dad. Is there anything your dad would not do? Be fun to hear some of you share that. Let me, let me because I'm up here, I'm just gonna tell you three things my dad wouldn't do. Number one, he would never, ever vote for a Democrat. <laughs> Career military, enough said. Number two, he would never cook. If it was supper time and my sister and I knew that mom wasn't home, we were in trouble because we would get what my dad grew up on, what he affectionately called slop. Two pieces of white bread smothered in applesauce with milk poured over it. To this day, I can't stomach soggy bread. Third thing my dad would never do, use bad grammar. My dad got on the GI Bill, got a lot of education from it, and went on to her second career, be a 25-year English teacher in junior high. When we were at home, though, and he was learning all this English stuff, he would make sure my sister and I knew it. We, my sister and I would get in a fight verbally, sometimes worse. Finally, one of us would say, what'd you do that for? And my dad's trying to yell at us, trying to say he'd had enough. He'd say, stop. You never, ever end a sentence with a preposition. <laughs> this dad, in Jesus' story, he did three things that a father in that day would never do. Number one, show open emotion and kiss his son. Not in this context. Number two, run. He left his spot and he ran towards his son. In that day, just in general, because you wear robes and tunics, you'd have to hike it up and run. That was shameful for men. You would never run in public. Three. He welcomed his prodigal home. Normally in this situation, Kenneth Bailey, the great scholar of the, the Middle Eastern times of Jesus' day, he says that what most villagers would have received who did what this son did would be the kasatsa ceremony. From the Jewish Talmud and the Dead Sea Scrolls, it is known that the Jews of the time of Jesus had a method of punishing any Jewish son who lost the family inheritance in the Gentile world. If the boy dared to return to his home, the villagers would bring a large earthenware jar, fill it with burned nuts and burned corn, and break it in front of the guilty one. While doing this, the community would shout, so-and-so is cut off from his people. And from that point on, the village would have nothing to do with this wayward lad. That was the norm. 
but this father welcomed his younger son home. And you have to ask, why? What was all this? What motivated him to be so controversial and so uh, like radically loving? Well, the answer is in Luke chapter 15 and verse 20. It comes down to a single word. So the younger son got up and went to his father, and while the younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with, here's the word, compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Compassion. It's the word, my favorite Greek word. You've heard me say this before. Splachna. Guts. In the ancient world, it was believed the seat of emotions resided in the stomach. It's actually a Greek translation of the Hebrew word that's used of God 77 times in the First Testament, the word racham, from which we get the word Rachel, the name Rachel. It's a feminine word, and it literally means the womb. And what Jesus is doing here is playing a card from the prophets of the First Testament who used to describe God as the almighty father, but who loved his children like a mother. Fierce, fierce, unstoppable, loving from a mother's heart is how God loves his children. Now, a few years ago, I got a call from one of my college professors my old history professor at Clark Summit University, Rembert Carter. And many things go through your mind when out of the blue a professor calls you from your past. Like, the, like did I screw up on my final? Do I have to retake history? What, what happened here? Rembert Carter went on to tell me that he'd retired from teaching history and he was now in retirement pastoring a small church in rural Pennsylvania. And in his church, he had a, a widow named Lillian Atanaviani. And Lillian was actually a pastor's wife from a former pastor back in the 60s who had died young in life of cancer and left behind Lillian and her four young daughters. And it was a rough go for Lillian and her daughters. And in fact, the reason Dr. Carter called me was because the youngest daughter, now in her 50s, was actually imprisoned for a crime down in the El Paso County Jail in the Springs. And Dr. Carter asked me if I'd go down with Jan and visit this woman. And he gave me a few things to say that her mother wanted said. So we get down there and we didn't know what we were exactly walking into. Here it was the most maximum part of the prison. Jan couldn't go in. And it was one of those vintage pictures, right, you see on television of thick plate glass, phones on the wall. I sit down. They bring her in. She sits down. We pick up the phones. And I say to her, Your mom sent me here to tell you that she loves you. And it was a 10 minute visit. And this woman could not stop crying. She didn't say really a word. I just proceeded to talk and tell her all the things that her mom wanted her to know. I'm telling you we told the children, now we tell the big people, God is running for you. 
whether you're here and you're visiting and you're just checking out this church thing, this Christian thing, what you need to know about God the Father, most of all, is that he loves you and that he's running for you and that his heart is unstoppable in helping you to know that. And what some of you who've been in this walk for a long time and maybe through life circumstances and some of the turns and you're deeply disappointed, you're, you're kind of bored, whatever it is, you're here and you're just not connected to the Father, I'm telling you, he's running to you. He wants to kiss you, fall on your neck. He demonstrated that by sending his own son to make a way and his son, he became an exile. He was lost. He never sinned, but everything else in a lost condition he experienced. He was a homeless man. He died on a cross naked, the ultimate in shame and rejection. And he did it all so that he could experience our lostness and provide a way for us to get out of it. That's how the Father loves us, and that's what Jesus did to bring us that love. And so you know what this means. What this means, and the point of the story is that when God loves you and you receive that love, you become family. You become son and daughter. You have a place at the table. In the New Testament, again and again, it's just thrown in in lines everywhere, like in Galatians chapter three. This is really what the Second Testament sits on, these kinds of expressions. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith, sons and daughters of God. That is our primary identity. So what does that mean, quickly? It means three things. One, it means that what's true of Jesus is true of us. That we are honored, that we are privileged with the wealth of eternal riches, and we will sit down at the Father's table. The whole reason Jesus came was so that his Father could become our Father. So what's true of Jesus is true of us, and all that he has, we have. He shares it with us. We are heirs. Imagine that. We are the children of God. One of my favorite preachers was a Welsh preacher called Martin Lloyd-Jones. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he would meet with a, with a new person in their church, he would just ask them the question, what does it mean to you that you are a child of God? And it was his diagnostic question because how a person responded to that question really helped him understand how much this person understood the good news of Jesus. If they would say something like, well, I'm trying to be a child, they didn't get it yet. Or if they were saying something like, well, uh, I've never thought of it quite. The, the, the most important thing God wants you to know is that when you respond in faith to him, you become family. You become a child of God and you have this deep, deep security. Remember, the younger son tried to come home as a servant and the father said, no, you're my son. We can try to earn our way. No, you're my child. And that's deep security. And that deep security leads to intimate access. Think of it. In the king's palace, there's only really one person who can wake the king up at three o'clock in the morning to get a glass of water. Do you know who that is? The child. I remember teaching your kids once. They wanted me to come in and talk about what a pastor does. And I told them the truth. I told them, I get paid to drink coffee, love people, read the Bible. There's nothing better. Some of you really need to consider going into the ministry. I'm serious. It's a good gig. I told him that, and then I asked him, what's your dad do? And I'll never forget this one kid jumped up, and he said, my dad works at Lockheed. <laughs> and then he says, I can show you a rocket. <laughs> when your dad works at Lockheed, you get to see the good stuff. 
When you know God the Father as your Father, you get to see the good stuff. You have deep security, you have intimate access, and finally you have a future hope. Paul says that I reckon, I thought that fit Cowboy Week at VBS, I reckon that these present sufferings we are experiencing are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us as the children of God. One day, when Jesus returns, the spirit living in us will come to full expression and we will become this creature of greatness and joy and humility and nobility. We will be changed and made like Jesus in fullness, totally outfitted for the eternal life to come. What a moment that will be. That is our future promised to us. When Jewel the unicorn saw it in the Chronicles of Narnia, I don't know, it was a unicorn, a he or a she said, I am home now. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it. Two lost sons, they were lost, but the father ran his love and brought them home. Would you like to come home today? It's as simple as telling Jesus you would. It's the ABC. A, admit you need help. You can't do it on your own. You've tried it through squandering everything. You've tried it through being good. The only way to come home is to admit you need God's help and receive what he offers the way. And that's the second thing. B, believe. Believe that Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins and that he rose from the dead to give us resurrection hope. And then commit your way to that message. That should have the highest allegiance in your heart, that relationship. In fact, next Sunday after the service, we're having a baptism. And as we offer it to our kids, we offer it to you now. If you would like to pray and receive Jesus and next week proclaim to the world that you are a Christ follower, you can be baptized. Just stop at the information desk on the way out and we'll contact you this week if you would like to be baptized and proclaim your allegiance to Jesus. So let's pray together. And if you've never prayed this way and asked Jesus to come into your heart, just somehow in your own way, in your own heart, just say to Jesus something like this. Heavenly Father, what a story this morning. And I see how much you love me, that you're running to me, that no matter what I've done in the past, you want to forgive my sins and you want me to be home with you forever. And it begins now. So Lord, I admit that I need your gift of salvation. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross to forgive my sins and take them away. And that I can have the fitness to live in heaven with you face to face forever because of what he's done. And so I commit my life to you. I commit that your uh, relationship with you will be the most important relationship in my life. And so I give you my life. I give you myself. Lord, for anyone who's prayed this prayer, we pray your favor and blessing on them. We pray, Lord, that 
their growth, their hope, their love would, would grow. And Lord, we pray that for all of us. We never get over the gospel. It's not ABC, it's A to Z. We never get over your love for us. So recharge us, refill us all this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray.